Hi, it's Shana here. Before this episode starts, I'm popping in with a quick reminder about our upcoming CEU on Thursday, May 16th on a person-centered approach to behavior management. School taught us a lot about ABA. However, the thing with ABA is that it's a science and it's constantly evolving. So a lot of what we learned back then doesn't always apply now. Today, we want to use a person-centered approach to behavior management, um, but what does that look like and how can our learners still make progress in this kind of approach? So join us live on Thursday, May 16th at 12 p.m. Eastern Time as Shira discusses how to use a person-centered approach to behavior management with your learners. This CEU is presented by our very own Shira Karpel. You can earn one learning CEU for ACE, QABA, or IBAO. Join us live at this event or to watch the recording asynchronously, go to howtoaba.com forward slash CEU. See you then. Hi, I'm Shira Karpow. And I'm Shana Gaunt, and we're board certified behavior analysts. At How To ABA, we provide practical resources, community, and support to ABA professionals. In each episode of our podcast, we will be having real conversations with real people sharing real stories about ABA. We'll share relevant strategies and actionable tips that will make us all better ABA practitioners. It's the ABA content you need that you're not going to learn in a textbook. We are talking about behavior. Um, a lot of what we all do is behavior management, tackling challenging behavior. And part of that is developing a real functional behavior plan and assessment. So we're gonna be talking about that today. Um, the first thing to know is that behavior is really not random. You know, a lot of a lot of times we'll get information where it says, you know, they were just in a bad mood or I have no idea why they, you know, melted down or I don't know what made them wanna hit them. And from our perspective, behaviorally, there's always a reason. And there's a process for finding out that reason. And we call that um, an FBA, Functional Behavior Assessment. So let's get started. Um, behavior, behavior always has a reason. Challenging behavior is usually communicative, but what is my child trying to tell me? Yeah, the behavior, like we said, is not random. There's always every behavioral Excess is telling us that there's a skill deficit. So it's really two sides of the same coin that they're engaging in this behavior because that's been the best way that they've learned to access the thing that they need. So there's a need there and there's a skill that they need to replace that with. Um, but it's not because they, you know, are bad or want to misbehave. Um, I always say they're struggling as much as we are to, to manage the behavior. And as behavior analysts, it's our job to find out what those skills are and how to teach those functional skills. And once we know the reason, you know, for their negative behavior, we can manage that challenging behavior and we can teach them the skills that address that behavior so that they can, you know, have a meaningful life. Okay, so the first thing is um, determine the behavior. So even before before we're going to start with an FBA, is this a behavior that we need to intervene on? Um, you know, there's a lot of reasons why we may not want to do an FBA. Um, some of the reasons that we may want to do an FBA is because it is really important. It's interfering with our quality of life. Um, but sometimes, you know, there's a lot going on and we're not going to get, you know, a really meaningful intervention in place. Um, it could be that this behavior may seem disruptive because we think it's disruptive or the staff think it's disruptive, but in reality, it's not really a challenging behavior. Um, you know, is it really harming themselves or others? Are they really at risk? And are there long-term repercussions? Um, looking at, you know, are there other 
other reasons for this behavior? Could there be a medical reason? You know, sometimes kids who are teething or who are going through growth spurts or changes in their body or medical reasons, lack of sleep, eating habits change. Sometimes those things should be rolled out as, you know, reasons or causes for behavior. Um, And that once we can rule all those things out and say, you know, it is still really important, it's pervasive, it's dangerous, or any one of those reasons, we're really ready to intervene, um, then would be a good time to start the process. And the one huge thing besides, you know, does this behavior even need treatment in the first place, is to focus in on one thing at a time, you know, really keep it simple and target one behavior at a time. If you target two, three, four behaviors, it's going to feel like too much. You're going to get overwhelmed, but not only are you going to get overwhelmed, so is your child. Um, So making sure that you're focusing in on one thing at a time and making sure that that um, behavior is something that actually needs to be treated. So the step one is define the behavior. And the question is, well, why do I need to define the behavior? I know what it is. It's hitting. Why why do I need to define that further? Well, the answer to that is that so everyone can be consistent. If you're the only one taking data and you know what that behavior is, then great. Um, You know, you've got a definition of hitting and that's okay. But if you are taking data and so is your colleague, um, maybe the teacher at school is taking data. Maybe the parent at home is taking data. You really need to make sure that you guys are all in the same page in terms of what that looks like. So for instance, if you're, you know, defining hitting as the behavior, is it one hit? Is it three hits in a row? Is that considered one episode or is that considered three hits? Um, Is an attempt a hit as well or is an attempt something completely different? So you really, really want to make sure that you're looking at that. Um, The other reason that you want to define behavior is because you want to be able to observe it and measure it, right? Um, You know, we're behavior analysts. We need to take data on it to see whether this behavior is on the rise or whether it's actually decreasing. You know, you may also, in your definition, include references as to what the behavior is not. So, you know, hitting, you know, it is, it does include those attempts and it does include multiple hits as one episode, but it doesn't include maybe like a tap on the shoulder to gain someone's attention. So making sure that you're including what it's not either so that you can be very clear and others know as well. Okay, step two, now you want to measure it. So the first step in measuring it would be, um, you know, something like getting some ABC data. We really want to know how often is this happening? You know what, sometimes your FDA stops here because once they start collecting data and measuring it, they're like, you know what, it's really not a problem. It's happening like twice a week and it's really not a big deal. It felt like it was happening a lot more often. Um, So we want those kind of answers. We want to know how often it's happening. Um, You know, is it related to time of day? Is it always related to the same activity that's presented? did and then the behavior happens? Um, Is there a pattern related to what they're engaging in? Um, What's happening before? How long does it happen for? You really want all that information um, so that you can move on to figure out more answers, right? We're really problem solving here. And the more information that we can have um, on the measurement of these observable and measurable behaviors, um, the better off we'll be in determining the function and moving forward. That when you're measuring behavior really gives you a good baseline before you start any any type of intervention. So if I know that my child is engaging in tantrum behavior, for instance, defined as X, Y, and Z, um, you know, and it's happening four times throughout the day at least, and it's happening, you know, upwards of 30 to 40 minutes per episode. Well, I've got that information now so that when I do actually, you know, introduce a treatment plan, I can see whether or not that's uh, that behavior is increasing or decreasing. 
So when you're gathering information, it's really helpful and really important, not only to look at the behavior itself, but to look, look at what events happened before the behavior and what events happened after the behavior. So there's your ABCs of behavior, your antecedent and your behavior and your consequence, and really looking at some of those antecedent events and, you know, what you're doing about the behavior afterwards um, can be very useful for us to determine the behavior and the function of behavior, I mean. So it's also important to look at when you're looking at the antecedents, like are there setting events? Is there anything that is making the behaviors more likely to occur? That meaning, you know, some days when I present this demand, you know, they're totally fine. But some days if they come in hungry or tired or having some other kind of setting event, <coughs> they're a lot more likely to not be able to follow through with the demands. Absolutely. Um, you know, I've seen students who, you know, are on the iPad when I walk in and uh, or they've had, you know, four hours of screen time and they just can't concentrate on anything else besides the screen time. Well, you know, that's not their fault that they're engaging in negative behavior. It's not your fault either. It's just it's that they've had too much screen time. Um, you know, oftentimes I talk about being hangry. I don't know if anybody else gets hangry. I definitely do. Um, you know, and it's all about, well, <laughs> feed me. And, you know, it, it's, it's not about treating any type of negative behavior besides just feed me. Um, so definitely looking at those setting events is massive. Okay, step three is the important part is the, the why, the function of the behavior. <coughs> so you really want to determine function of behavior. Um, and, you know, we use a nice little acronym called EATS. Um, and every behavior can serve multiple functions. So, you know, you can do, you know, escape-related behavior, avoidant behavior, um, attention, um, tangible, which is access to items or activities. Like I want it and I want it now, like that typical tantrum, the grocery store, when, you know, your child sees the chocolate bars in the checkout line and they have a tantrum because they want that, that's tangible. Um, and then there's also sensory. So sensory would be things like, you know, it just feels good. So, you know, kids with a diagnosis of autism, some of them might flap their arms or, um, you know, track cars, um, those types of things that would be sensory. Okay, so once we have the function and we know the why, and it's important to know the why because our plan of action is going to depend on that why. We wouldn't put the same intervention in place if we've determined that the function is attention as we would for a function of escape. So it's important to know what's in it for them, what are they motivated for, what is this behavior giving them access to, right? So some of our kids engage in those behaviors because it works for them. So what part of that is working for them and what are they working towards? So once we know that, then we can develop a plan of action and we're going to talk about picking treatment strategies that are based on the function. So if their function is escape or avoidance, the treatment is going to specifically target that function of escape or avoidance and put antecedent strategies and proactive strategies in place um, to help with that. The other important thing is that once you know the function, we can teach a much more targeted replacement behavior. There always should be a replacement behavior when in a um, functional plan. So we want to teach them a more appropriate or safer or more functional way for them to access the same result. So if they've just become so accustomed to yelling every time that they want a cookie or want something to eat, and that's been working for them because every time that they yell, someone comes over with a cookie, we need to teach them a replacement behavior, which might be exchanging a picture for a cookie or attempting to say the word cookie or something like that. Um, and with that plan, we want to continually take and analyze the data so that we know, is this plan working? Um, so continuing the data with the plan. 
We also have to consider, Shira mentioned, replacement behavior, and we have to consider communication. And that's huge. You know, a lot of our learners don't communicate as well as they could, um, or they don't communicate at all, and that's heartbreaking. So, you know, I always make the analogy of, you know what, if I were in another country, say, for instance, I was in Russia, I don't know Russian, I don't know the culture, I don't know the language, and if I needed to, I don't get a coffee, and nobody understood me, and they looked at me and they said, well, say it slow. And I'm like, I don't even know how to say coffee in Russian. I, I can't even say it slow. Can you say it louder? Can you repeat yourself? I, I, no, I, I don't know it at all. Um, I would be so frustrated and I would probably end up throwing a tantrum right then and there. Um, so I really do understand our learners when they can't communicate. So really think about when you're thinking about function, think about communication as an overall function. And really, what is that child trying to say and teach that replacement behavior? So again, every behavior has a purpose, right? So our whole eats, our escape, our attention, our tangible, our sensory is because of that, but it's also because of communication. So really making sure that you really ask, what is my child trying to say and teach that replacement behavior? You know, and if your child is, you know, non-vocal and they can't communicate verbally, then, you know, often try something else, you know, try and see if they can offer you a picture or a quick sign of some type that they can, you know, make for you so that they can, you know, get out of task or that they can tell you that they want attention or that they can say, hey, I want that. Um, Because, you know what, I would rather them sign or tap you on the shoulder uh, or something instead of engage in a 30 minute tantrum. The important part is that communication will get them access to that function, right? And a lot of people confuse it as, Well, if they're communicating, then I can give them a different kind of reinforcement. And what we're talking about here is that function is the reinforcement. So if they're communicating um, that they want to escape and that they don't want to do something, great. Like you need to reinforce that at the beginning while they're learning that. If they're communicating that they want access to something instead of engaging in challenging behavior, then give them access access to something. Don't use it as, or don't try to pull in other types of reinforcement when this function is really the most reinforcing thing. So for instance, if, you know, they're trying to communicate, listen, this is too hard. I really need a break, or I need you to make this easier for me. And, you know, we teach them something simple, like, you know, the sign for break, or if they can speak, they can say, this is too hard. Um, Making sure that when they say this is too hard, you know, let them escape from the task because, you know, they've actually said it really nicely. If they tantrum and they kick and they scream, they're going to be escaping from task. And we're teaching them, oh, it's okay to tantrum and kick and hit and scream and you can escape from task. So instead, teach them, you know, communication to be able to escape from task. If you you say, oh, wow, you know, that was really great, you know, telling me you need a break. Uh, I don't know, here's... Continue working for Legos. Here's a tickle (laughs) or something. Like, that's not the right function. So you really need to make sure that if they're asking for a break and the function is escape, that you're giving them that escape. And it doesn't have to be forever. It can be even for 10 seconds, but you're giving them what they need. And the last thing is to always monitor and assess the plan. So once the plan is in place and you put all the right, you know, systems in there and you've proactive strategies and they're collecting data, um, we don't just leave it. We want to continually be involved so that we're making sure that we're looking at the data, reviewing it. Is it working? Um, You know, is the behavior decreasing? Are those proactive replacement behaviors increasing? You want to look at fidelity checks because especially at the beginning, you know, if you're dealing with an extinction burst or if you're dealing with, um, you know, the behavior doesn't all, all of a sudden go to zero, it'll decrease slowly. 
Are they still managing the challenging behavior in the way that you've proposed that they manage it? And giving the team support, you know, like I said, with extinction bursts or with sometimes there might be, you know, things that go wrong, um, continuing to be involved so that you can give them that support and making sure that the plan is being implemented and updated as necessary. So if something's not working, you know, you can make a few changes um, and then continue to, to treat it. Absolutely. And, you know, we also talked about communication um, and that's teaching your learner communication. But as you're monitoring, as you're developing the plan and monitoring the plan and assessing the plan, making sure that you're communicating continuously with the stakeholders, right? So with your client, if, you know, if your client can understand this um, and also with the stakeholders involved so that um, they're all privy to this information, everybody's on the same page. You know, if you've got permission to also talk to the teachers, parents, siblings, et cetera, et cetera, making sure that this is a full team approach to make things happen. Thanks for joining today's conversation. Wherever you get your podcast, please go and subscribe, rate and review so others can find out about us too. For more from How to ABA, including free resources and ABA materials, visit our blog at howtoaba.com and make sure that you're following us on social media for more practical tips and updates.